Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome everybody to another week here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. This week, we're going to place an emphasis on another brand here in the Western industry, Chaff Hay. This week's guest is Jay Hill, who is an incredible advocate for the agricultural industry. And in this episode, he provided an unbelievable education in the realm of equine feed. You know, meeting the nutritional needs of your horse can be difficult, and it takes a lot of work. I personally went through almost a year of education in trying to find the right combination for my horse. And in this episode, you'll hear information that's atypical to traditional Western belief. But if you truly educate yourself, you'll find out that Chaff Hay is an incredible product offering an amazing opportunity to meet your horse's nutritional needs. To learn more about Jay Hill, I suggest you pause the tape right now. Go to Instagram and find him at HillJ45. That's H-I-L-L-J-A-Y-4-5. And to further develop your education on Chaff Hay and the products that they offer, Visit chaffay.com and that's C-H-A-F-F-H-A-Y-E.com. Now, should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice would mean the world to us. You can find us on both Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast, and our Twitter handle is at Let Freedom Reign underscore. I hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is our conversation with the co-owner of Chaffay, Mr. Jay Hill. First of all, you know, I, I just I want to say thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to chat with you. Oh, yes, uh, sir. Kind of talk about what's happening in West Texas and Southern New Mexico in these crazy times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's funny because, you know, you watch all this stuff and, and we're going to poke fun at this coronavirus thing for a little bit. You know, people running out and panicking because they got to get 8,000 rolls of toilet paper and they're trying to do their, their preparation now, but... Uh, I don't think people have a greater understanding of, of what it takes to truly prepare and how much, you know, this quarantine really impacts industry uh, and revenue as far as the agricultural industry goes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you look at, you know, a couple of the the states that have already gone to a full shutdown are still saying, you know, if you're in agriculture, if you're in construction or power, you know, you don't have to abide by this yeah. mandate. Yeah. Uh, because because I think the the world does understand if if we shut down as farmers and if uh, freight shuts down and power shuts down, it's over. It's, it's unbelievable. And I don't know that people necessarily give it the thought, you know, and, and it's tough because with the, with the economy and the depression that it is, you know, uh, if you guys are out there in the production side of things, yet you don't have the consumer side of things rolling, uh, it can put a lot of companies in a, in a bad position real fast. Yeah, we grow a lot of cotton out here, and and to watch the cotton market dip down below levels uh, lower than what it was in World War II, I mean, it's it's disheartening to say the least. But at yeah. the same time, yeah. we do understand that there's there's a lot that we need to change as far as the way that we market ourselves as agriculturalists, as farmers and ranchers. You know, I've got a lot of friends that are that are big beef guys, and mm-hmm. uh, they're talking about you know we can't move calves right now. Uh, the the killing plants are down, the feedlots are full, yada, yada, yada. And, and and this for me is just another example of we have not done a good job in agriculture of yeah. diversifying ourselves. Yeah. And that's what I, I, this is why I wanted to have you on the show, right? You've been such a great advocate and voice for the agricultural industry and, and everybody in the kind of the Western way of life and agriculture. 
we're typically very good at what we do. However, the business side of things is where we struggle, right? Selling ourselves or selling a product. Uh, we're not necessarily as savvy on, but uh, you've always been a huge proponent of the ag industry. You've done so very, very articulately. And uh, hopefully over the next hour, we kind of open some eyes as to what the demands are of the ag industry and what are some of the issues you all are facing and, and how we can help better support that. Yeah, you know, and that's the one thing that I, I think is is there's so many multi generations, and I do not mean what I'm about to say. I do not mean this that if if you if you're the seventh generation that's grown up on a farmer ranch, then you don't have what it takes to succeed because that's obviously not the case. But we've gotten ourselves into a mindset that you have to be, you know, if you're going to be uh, a farmer or rancher, that you're going to have to inherit something. Yeah. But what's ended up happening is is if you're in agriculture now and you're inheriting something, probably the biggest thing you're going to inherit is somebody else's debt. Yeah. And so yeah. we have to change our mindset as producers. I'm I consider myself a generation and a half farmer. I did not grow up on a working farmer ranch. Um, started with ten acres, and now we're we're a very very large, uh, very diverse farm. And the only reason is that is because we've we've diversified what we grow. But then I've brought in unbelievable people. Uh, that work with us that say, hey, I'm an expert in in a field and let me do my job. Jay, you just make sure that we get the bills paid. Yeah. And and by doing that, um, man, we, we've we've been so blessed. And uh, and that's why I go out on the road, you know, up to 20 times a year. I talk to, to ranchers and farmers all over the country and just say, listen, this thing is not this thing is not just a consumer based problem. It's it's a fact that we as the producer have not done a good job of getting in front of people and saying, listen, this is this is kind of how the process works. Yeah. And if you want that food supply to stay, then this is the support that we need. It's not a pat on the butt and saying, good job, thank you, you're a farmer or rancher. It's more along the lines of, hey, we, we know that you're aligning yourselves on environmental issues, on human rights issues, on all of these things. And we want to support a system that, that is aggressive and progressive like that. Absolutely. So let's uh, let's kind of dive into some of your history, right? And how you kind of got your start in farming, and and how this became such a passion of yours uh, to to really be a voice. Yeah. So I, I grew up uh, in southern New Mexico, just south of Las Cruces, uh, and and my dad and mom had ten acres. Uh, I'm the youngest of five children, and. On that 10 acres, it was mostly just alfalfa is what I grew up around. We had somebody come and cut it, but we would bale it. Uh, but I grew up in a, in a tractor tire sandbox. I mean, if 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 it wasn't, you know, below zero, I was outside and I was in that sandbox playing and, and pretending to be a farmer. And I remember just watching agriculture take place as I was in that sandbox and watching all of these other farms all over the, you know, all over around us as they were growing different commodities and crops and vegetables and cows and, yep. And uh, and doing doing all of this amazing work and thinking, you know what? I really just want to be a part of that. I all I want to do is is be a farmer. And so at 16, I asked my dad to be a farmer, and uh, he rolled his eyes. And in those days, he was working for a large uh, corporate company that was uh, taking kids out of high school, straight out of high school, into a vocational program. And um, in that vocational program, teaching them skills like automotive, diesel repair, HVAC, yeah, yeah, those kind of things. And and so as that was progressing, um, I, I told that I said, you know what, I, I really want to, I want to take a, a stake at farming. And and so he said, I want you to write up a business plan. Let's figure out what you're going to grow. Um, so I grew ten acres of onions as my first crop, um, and got a job with a produce company. 
uh, working stacking onions and uh, and loading them on semi trucks, and uh, and that really got my my feet wet. The first year we made we made a great crop, um, and and we we hit a good market. And with that, it was just kind of the springboard that got me into leasing the neighbor's farm and then buying the other neighbor's farm. And um, and we've had some huge mountains that we've uh, had to climb at the same time. We've almost lost our shirt in the process multiple times, too. And so that's been really, you know, it's made me who I am as a farmer. At the same time, it didn't take long for me to realize that I'm not the best farmer in the world. Uh, but I am a person that is compassionate about people and I understand how people work. And so I started to align myself in industry, in business um, with people that, that might not be a people person, but they're really good at a certain aspect of, of what it is. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I started figuring out ways, how do I bring those people together and how do I form teams uh, to be able to do something that other people can't do? And as we've done that, uh, we've just been completely blessed. I mean, we've just exploded. So we're now we're farming about 18,500 acres in two states, four counties, um, and, and I work alongside the best men and women in the world. I know a lot of people say that, but I genuinely to this day cannot tell you how great these teams are that I get to be a part of. And I'll tell you, it's incredible when you really start to focus on your circle, right? Those people that you lean on and that lean on you. And it's incredible to see when you start to get all these individuals with common goals or common purpose or common work ethic, whatever it may be, it's incredible to see what that fosters as far as progression and challenging yourselves and challenging individuals. And you can really, really push the envelope and start to gain a lot of momentum really fast with just a small group of people that are in support of. And I think that's the biggest thing too, is there's so many people that, you know, my parents always used to give me a hard time for listening to rock and roll in in high school and saying, you know, what you put in is what you get out. Yeah. And, uh, and it, it has the same effect with the circle that you run and not saying that I don't like rock and roll music today, but, you know, when I got off track and started running with guys that were negative and 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 people that were uh, not trying to build themselves as as you know either professionals or just decent citizens, mm-hmm. uh, I, I saw that's when I had the biggest struggles. And when I was on top of these mountains, when I had some huge years that I made a lot of money, um, that's where I started to gain arrogance. And as the more arrogant I got, the less money I made. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, there's something to correlate. Something's between. not right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So instead of sitting here saying, you know, Jay Hill built all of this, absolutely not. Um, I, I've had to align myself in different partnerships. I've had to align myself in different businesses, some of which have failed miserably and some of which have been just amazing. And uh, and so truly having those dark moments have helped build me as a person who I am today. That's, that's for dang sure. So I want to, I want to further kind of elaborate this, this network idea and kind of so much of farming and, and the horse industry or cattle industry, because the margins seem to be so tight, right? And so much effort is put forth on the front end and money is invested on the front end. And then you have the volatility of a market on the back end. Uh, the, the margins are never really guaranteed and, to branch out and work with individuals starts to spread the wealth kind of thin at some point. So what are some advantageous things that you did in developing your teams to try to prove success given all those different variables and dynamics in the, in the situation of farming? The biggest thing that I found was I had to find something that was genuinely better than, than anything else out there. I had to find a niche, no matter if I'm growing 3000 acres of cotton I'm going to align myself with an end consumer and an end market. I'm going to align myself with a grower that that's able to be competitive um, 
and, and still grow a great crop. Um, it's just like our chaffe business that I'm not going to get a part of a business to be able to pinch a penny to try to make a nickel or a dime. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. want, I want to make sure that I align myself with people that are proven knowledgeable. And then that way we can sit here and say, yeah, genuinely we have something in the marketplace that is not just something that you can duplicate easily. I want to do something that is, that has been proven and, and works. And so finding people that can prove that, their systems work better, more efficiently, cost-effective, safe to people, uh, safe to animals. Those are the people that I align myself with. Yeah, yeah. It's a unique set of circumstances, you know, because on one level, right, uh, the more brands you put in the fire, right, the more there is a fray. But I, I truly feel in in leadership, right, when you find those people that are experts in a field, that are willing to push you, push themselves uh, to be that effective leader, you just got to kind of sit back and trust your people and understand that they are who they are and they function at the level they function at because of who they are and just kind of sit back and, and manage the situation and let them be the expert rather than trying to micromanage. Well, you talked about profitability too. And I think that has a lot to do with, with, uh, what a person's definition of success is in business. Um, you know, a lot of people equate success with what their bank account reflects. Yeah. You're and, right. and for for me, success has been aligning myself in an industry that allows me to wake up in the morning and know that I'm in the right spot in the world, yeah. knowing that maybe someday I, I, I won't be able to afford a beach house and a mountain home and a, and, a, and a, you know, hobby ranch. But knowing that right now, even though it is work, I wake up and I enjoy what I do. I don't go to work. I, I, I go to live life every day. And so bringing people in that have the same passion, understanding, yes, we want to do this. We want to make money, of course. But at the same time, we want to wake up in the morning and have a cup of coffee with a management team saying, man, I'm just glad I'm here today. It's good to see you guys. It's good to see you girls. Let's 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 make today the best day that we can. And my my definition of success, I'm living it every single day. Yeah, I have hard days, but at the same time. I'm the most successful person, successful person in the world, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's just because I enjoy what I do every day. And that's an incredible opportunity that a lot of people don't get, right? They will chase that dollar and they'll spend 30, 35, 40 years in an industry hating every single day, going to work, being miserable, you know, in the network of people that they're in. Uh, just because to they're drive focused that, on that dollar. Yeah. That's drive that big fancy car to their fancy house. Right. And, and I mean, what is it? The, the farm that we moved to in the middle of nowhere has a big house. I live in a, I live in a big home and I absolutely, I moved out of 1500 square feet into 4,400 square feet and it is miserable. Yeah. Like I talked to my wife and she's like, this is so dumb. Like, and th- not that there's something bad with somebody that lives in a big home, but what I'm saying is my priorities in life are not about where I sleep at night. Yeah. You know, yeah. my priorities are the fact that I can get in the pickup or jump on the ranger and go look at my cows or look at, look at some fields and just really love every aspect of what my day-to-day operation is. You know, we recently made uh, a similar transition, but we went the other way. My wife and I, we had a humongous house that we absolutely did not need in any way, shape or form, but we were young. We made a lot of money at the time. Um, and that's what our definition of success was at that phase or that season of life. And we cut the square footage in half for the opportunity to buy some land. And you're exactly right. Like, 
when we were going through the transition and the deal, I thought, oh, you know, what am I going to do with half the square footage? And it's not this custom home that we built and, you know, we made our own. But uh, here we are and, and the sunsets that we get, uh, the sunrises that we get, the land that we get to share, uh, it, I wouldn't trade it for nothing. For nothing. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, I don't miss that house one that, single bit. And, and the, the, the big thing is, is you're going to see the people in this dark time that we're going through as a world as, as, as the globe starts to shake, because I, you know, I am, I'm no economist, but I, I do stay pretty current with, I, I got a lot of friends in a lot of places and, and we're in for some pretty dark days. Yeah. And, and so with that being said, when your priority is not on making sure that you're going to be able to buy that new house or car or whatever it's going to be, but your priority is I'm going to take care of my guys. Like I yep. know that my 120 employees do not have to worry about getting a paycheck on Friday. You know, what an incredible so, confidence, not only for you, right. Providing that paycheck, but for them to receive it and bring it back to their families. Right. I mean, and that's, yeah. that's the biggest thing is we're a huge, we're a huge family. And so for me, you think about, you know, I think about the millions and millions and millions of pounds of either animal feed or food that we produce on our farms and fiber. And, and I can sit back knowing that that's not going to stop, that the men and women that are in, in the field every single day can rest assured that the inputs that we're doing right now, you can hear a pump in the background because yeah. we're, we're getting ready to start here getting some hay. And, uh, and so as we're, as we're aligning ourselves up for a year that could be pretty shaky, we feel pretty confident about, about going into this thing because we haven't sat here and, and spent ourselves into a hole, even though, and this is the thing is agriculture has gone through some of the hardest times during the last eight years. I mean, we have seen we have seen oil and gas explode, and we've seen IT explode, and all of these uh, you know industries just blow up, and people making tons of money. And agriculture has just been struggling to eke itself by. But on our end, when you diversify yourself correctly, when you align yourself with those peoples, and your priorities are in the right spot, I guarantee you, we're going to see a lot more sun than the other person that's sitting sitting there saying the world's crashing, the world's falling around me. Uh, I can't pick myself out of the hole. Suicide rates in agriculture surpass that of vets. People are saying, what's the problem? You know, the trade war and the this and the that. And I'm saying it's because we've shifted our priority. It's shifted our focus on we have so much pride in the fact that we farm so many acres or we have so many horses or we have so many, you know, we do this. And in all reality, what we should say is if I have to downscale, if I have to downsize or if I have to change industries, I'm alive, I'm awake, I'm alert, and I'm blessed to be able to be here and so it's not about, you know, my status as a person. It's not about that. And so that was, that was, you know, again, to tie back to the beginning, that was hard for me to learn. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm still learning it because there are days that I wake up and I'm like, hell yeah, this is awesome. What we've built is, you know, but at the same time I have to, I have to, you know, turn around and kick myself in the rear end and say, okay, there's been some things that have made me feel this way for a reason. And what happened right after that? Yeah. yeah. So, and it's know, true. You got to. I always keep it in the back of my mind, right? If this was to all fall apart, where would I be? If this was to all fall apart, would I have a skill set? Would I have a plan? Would I have an action that I could take right now the second that this all falls apart? And uh, it took those life lessons, right? I made a, a career change that cost me 30, almost 34% of what I was making before um, with a, a brand new baby at an right. at-will at job, you know, but that didn't define who I was. That didn't define my work ethic. That didn't define my ability to plan and execute, right? And that's why I think uh, 
in the lion's share of this Western world and agriculture that, yes, there is going to be a financial impact. That's inevitable, uh, given the current situation in, in the world. But I think a lot more people are better well off for those reasons, right? They've planned for it. They've prepared. They've diversified. They don't have all their eggs in one basket. When we start to understand that, you know, I moved, I moved a three week, or excuse me, a three day old baby and my wife into a 29 foot 1991 camper in the winter and said, God, Listen, we are, life, we're, yeah. we're, yeah, we're, we're moving out here because I know that this is where we're supposed to be. And I know this is what we're supposed to do. And, and looking at the way everything fell, I would not have changed a thing about it. Yeah. My wife did not grow up in ag, did not grow up around animals. And, and she stood by my side and said, I believe in what our, what our, you know, our dreams are. I believe, you know, in what we can do as a, as a couple and, uh, and I support you. So I'll, I'll keep the camper clean and, and you make sure that we don't have to live in this thing forever. And, uh, <laughs> Fair trade. And, and, and we did it, you know, and, and, yeah. and, and it's one of those deals. If we had to, and we talked about this, we were in bed last night and we we're sitting there talking and she said, if we had to move back into the camper with two kids now and a dog and a cat and, you know, whatever. And she's like, what would you, what, what's your plan B if, if it all fell apart? And I'm like, you know what? I would be just as happy chopping weeds for another farm as I would be having to run this. Mm-hmm. If I could be mm-hmm. in agriculture, if I could be doing something that impacts people positively, I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. So let me ask you this. In your experience, how do you go about setting goals? How do you go about the forethought uh, of the backup plan, right? Because a lot of this show is personal growth and development. And, and so in your experiences, what are, what are some takeaways that folks might be able to use to help themselves kind of set up for success? What are you good at? I mean, that's the yeah. thing. And, and somebody, somebody that's having a bad day is going, well, I'm not good at anything. And, and that's not the case. We're all created uniquely. And, and we all have certain aspects of our life that we're stronger in, in other ways. And some people are like, well, I'm just a really good artist. You know, that's all I can do. Take your art to work. You know, figure out a way where you can. can I Again, remember, I'm not a farmer. I'm not a good yeah. farmer. I'm not an agronomist. I'm not a mechanic. I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a hydrogeologist. I'm, I don't know all of these specific things. But what I am able to do is to key in off the fact that I'm a people person. You know, and so it's it's just the same thing of saying if you're an artist, then maybe there's a job painting walls, you know, somewhere else. And the way that you do that's more efficient than another one. And that's a hard analogy to, to get into. But at the same time, um, my plan B is, is built off of I always keep enough cash around that if it did hit the if it did hit the fan, it would give me enough time to really figure out, OK, what is plan B? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, two, if I had to go to work for somebody I want to make sure that I'm finding somebody that is that is aggressive in in their growth. And so, um, you know, I'm I, my my goal was to make a million dollars by the time I was 30. I got to 30, and I was 30 million dollars in debt. <laughs> so, you know, it was a little bit of a going, pendulum was, swing. Yeah, I was going. You know, I made a million dollars one year, and the next year I'm 30 million dollars in debt. Yeah. And so it's one it's one of those deals where I sit there and say, okay, it, it, life is not gonna. You, you can paint the picture that you want, but but. If you think that's the road that you're going to go down, just watch God laugh at you yeah. because because it's going to change. And and, and already, I mean, I can see I, my, my job is already changing. 
Um, I'm getting more and more removed from day-to-day operations. I mean, I've got a load of chili seed in the back of my truck right now, and we're going to start planting peppers. Um, and, and I'm enjoying the time because I know next year I probably won't be the person that's hauling the seed to the planter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, because of other, you know, life's taking me in, in different directions. And so what I'm trying to do is uh, just figure out, you know, kind of what, how do all of my strengths play into my weaknesses and, and then what can I do to, to make myself better as a person and, uh, and just keep, keep rolling with that. Yeah. It does take a lot of reflection, you know, and I, I do think put yourself in a financial position to take such a financial burden, right. Of losing a job or changing a job uh, is a more than advantageous path. That's what we did here and that's what we continue to do. Right. So when, if, and when we do fall off the map, uh, it, we don't have to worry about the next check per se. Um, I had an old cotton farmer tell me one time, he said, so I was getting into growing cotton and I'd never grown it before. And everybody says, we can't make any money growing cotton. And, uh, and, and old cotton farmer said, son, he says, you never have to worry about going broke on the bad year. Yeah. He said, you always have to worry about going broke on a good year. And, uh, and, and so I think that's what our economy is starting to see. We've been, we've been at the top. We started living, we're still living paycheck to paycheck, even though those paychecks are so much bigger. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the next thing you know, you're, you're buying a new living quarters, you know, three horse slant and you bought a new pickup underneath it, even because you can make the payment, but honestly, can you make the payment? Yeah. I tell people, uh, if you're talking about making payments, you probably can't afford it. That's just the reality of it. (laughs) Unless what you're making a payment on, can make its own payment pay for itself if it will not pay for itself then don't get into it and yeah. that's and that's it's been hard for me i mean i yeah. i've made the mistake how, i made oh, the mistake yeah. it's 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 you know am i buying a new tractor am i investing in a racehorse am i you know what it, is it going to make its money back don't ever get into racehorses oh my god but <laughs> you know it's it's one of those deals where where we 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 have to make conscientious decisions and i think with you know with my age i'm still below the the 40 mark yep. um i i feel like i still have some big life lessons that are going to come up and slap me in the face and so i'm just trying to you know limit the curve as they're saying these days and yeah. uh and hope that hope that i'm i've set myself up to be able to weather the storm and and we've done it well enough now that that the guys that have aligned themselves with me know that hey jay's not going to go out tomorrow uh, and buy a pineapple farm in Hawaii, um, and risk everything, you know, and risk our future. Yeah. So it's calculated risk, right? It's calculated yeah. risk. Absolutely. That's, that's where Chaffe came in. So I want to, I want to so, further develop the Chaffe thing, you know, cause I know that's kind of how our conversations first started via social media. Um, let's explain a little bit about who it was, how it came to be for you. And then we'll get into the actual products and, and what makes Chaffe unique. Yeah, so Chaffe um, actually was developed in New Zealand, and um, and they decided that they wanted to expand to the United States, and this was uh, they, they they came over here in '97. Um, but when they decided that they were going to come over, they went all over the country looking for what they thought would be the perfect spot to grow this product. And so they went to Idaho and they went to Iowa and they went to the Southeast and California and Arizona and they found Dell city, Texas. Um, and, and the uniqueness of this area is the fact that we do get hot during the summer, but we cool off so drastically at night, um, that it really allows whatever you're growing to recover at night. Um, Arizona, you know, they put up some great hay out in Arizona, but the problem with Arizona hay is it's still 90 degrees at night. Yeah, I was going to say it's 150 and, degrees for 24 hours at a time. 
so consistency <laughs> of so consistency of product really changes throughout the year. The biggest thing that we talk about in Chaffe is is our product is is consistent, and and when you're when you're trying to build uh, an athlete or you're trying to keep you know your horse happy, the biggest thing that you can do wrong is change their diet every four days you know no. every time you go through a bell no. of hay you're changing their base nutrition and uh, and so chaffee chaffee comes across and they find del city texas and they say okay a bunch of farmers we want you to grow us this variety of alfalfa and uh, we'll pay you so much a ton and then we'll process it and uh and so that went on for a couple of years they ran out of money didn't pay the farmers so the farmers took the business uh, if you want to kill a business faster than anything else the, the easiest way to do it is just to go in there and uh and let farmers run a business. And so the farmers <laughs> ran it. Eventually it was, it was defunct. Yeah. And, uh, and I, and I mean that well, I mean, there's, I know a lot of great businessmen that are farmers, but, um, that, that operation was defunct, uh, rather fastly or rather quickly. And then, um, it changed ownership a couple, a couple times, a couple people. And then, um, a couple bought it that really don't have any agricultural background, but they saw, the difference in a friend of theirs animal that was feeding it. And they're like, there's something to this. And then they, they did some research, found out that it was in Dell city came out, met with the person that was, that was running the company. Um, and they ended up selling a company somewhere else. And they said, you know what, we're just going to buy it. And we're going to do it. And so they, they ended up running this for almost 11 years and, uh, and did a really good job of building their brand name and who they are. Um, it was, it was really interesting for me to find out, you know, kind of their backstory without having any agricultural background, but they believed in the product. They knew the product was different and unique. Uh, and so they did that until they had the opportunity to sell and then they sold. And, uh, and that's where me and my business partner, Danny, uh, step in and we, I grew up growing alfalfa, you know, I mean, that's, yeah. that's what we had yeah. before I started onions. And then that was always a part of my rotation. Uh, I tried to rodeo for a little bit, but I'm definitely not athletic enough, nor do I have the patience for it. And um, We all got our lane, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I rode bucking horses for a little while. I rode for a little while. I, I, yeah, just not, no, I, I'm not cowboy enough for that. But at the same time, the one business that I made in college that really paid the beer money was alfalfa. Um, and I, I started to understand different people. So I understand you know, this person is a barrel racer and their horse is wired this way. And so if I fed them second cut alfalfa, you know, there's more protein in the second cut alfalfa. So that protein is going to be able to interact with that horse's sugar level. The sugar level is going to increase the energy, energy, you know, the, the horse is going to be able to perform better. Um, or, you know, this guy's a team roper, but he only ropes on Sunday afternoons after church. There's no sense in running green hay through that horse. Let's find something that's got a little stripe or a grass hay mix or something like that. Where So I started to understand that side of it. And uh, so when we got Chaffe, the selling factor for me is the fact that it is consistent. It doesn't matter if it's first cut hay or if it's fifth cut hay. We are sitting here looking at protein levels around 9% uh, as fed and then dry form is around 20%. And so a lot of people have questions about that. When you look at the back of a feed bag and there's there's multiple proteins and people are saying, well, is it 22%? Is it 20%? Is it 9%? What is it? You have to look at the, the ability of an animal, especially horses. You have to be able to understand how much protein can that horse actively, actively absorb and use. 
And, um, and so chaffe in that process, you know, we're fermenting alfalfa in a bag. We're making kombucha in a bag is what we're doing. Um, and we're, we're, we're allowing live microbes and bacteria to form that makes unbelievable digestive feed. And, um, and so we bought this, we bought this business a couple years ago and, and, and the first year, the first thing I did is change the logo and label and, uh, and had to learn who the clientele was. I've made some, you know, huge mistakes as far as, uh, just not understanding who the clientele was. There was, you know, goats and buffalo and, you know, we've got a rhino at a zoo on it, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I'm just trying to figure it out. And all I can really think about is how is this affecting my friends that have horses? Yeah. And, and what are we doing in the horse market? And, uh, and so over time, um, I've got a great friend, Dr. Laura White that we asked and I said, Laura, I said, would you come on? Um, would you run a study and just tell us what we have here? Will you tell us if we're trying to sell a product that is run of the mill that, that any of these other large, you know, people that produce forage has, or do we have something different? And so, there were some competitors in the market and we bought some of their products. We, we, we bagged ours. She put 17 horses on it and, and she ran a study for, for a while. And she came back and she's like, listen, you've got something. And, and I'm not just trying to be your friend or whatever, but she says to the point, I, I'm interested in what, what you have going and I want to be a part of it. Oh, interesting. So for, for me to have, you know, an equine nutritionist that is, she's a doctor and that's all she's done is focused on digestibility of feed and understanding, you know, what makes a, an athletic horse more athletic. Um, for her to say, this is, this is something unique. Um, this is something that, that if it's, if it's marketed correctly is huge. And so, so we have gone down that road as far as, okay, how do we, how do we market ourselves for horse people? You know, there's a lot of people who are like, well, it's, it's a wet feed and it's, it's brown, you know, isn't green hay supposed to be what you feed horses? And, uh, and I think me and you were talking about it earlier. There's that huge misconception in, in feeding alfalfa, or I, I said, there's a huge misconception. Let me, let me retract that statement and say this. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that if you feed straight alfalfa, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I've been told it a million times over. Right. If you feed pea green alfalfa, that's first cut, that's going to be running 20 to 24% protein. And that's all your horse is eating. I guarantee you, you're going to have problems. Yeah. The amount of sugar in there, the, the, the amount of protein that you're trying to shove through a horse, you know, um, do you work out? Uh, yes, sir. Okay. So if you're working out and you're trying to bulk a little bit and you're like, oh yeah, there's a new protein on the market. So I'm going to go in the morning and I'm going to whip up my protein powder, put it in my glass. and I'm going to drink it. What happens, what happens about 45 minutes later after you've drank your protein? Yeah. You start to get uncomfortable. You, you got to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Like it's, I mean, it's coming. Yeah. So, so what ends up happening is people are, are feeding alfalfa to these horses and you're seeing a bright green horse apple come out the back end, or, you know, you're starting to get almost to a scour. Um, people are complaining about colic and rolling a gut and all of these different things. Mm -hmm, What's mm -hmm. happening is, is that animal is not able to process that protein. And in our process at Chaffee, you know, and, and again, I'm not here to, to sell Chaffee on this at all. I I want this to be educational, you know, the the biggest thing that, that we have to understand, just like us drinking protein powder is just like us giving a horse 20% protein, green alfalfa. And when we do that, the biggest thing that happens is that animal 
can't process that protein. You got lots of flies in the barn. It's because those flies are headed right to that horse poop and they're going to be eating all of the leftover protein. And and so what we found with Chaffee, can you still hear me? I have to turn the pickup on. Yes, sir. You're good. So, so what we found is if you break that protein down through a fermentation process, not only do you break the protein, the protein down, but you broke, break down the sugars. And, and legally, we can't sit here and say that, that we are a feed that is perfect for an insulin-resistant horse. Mm-hmm. But I guarantee you, when this study comes back that we're doing now, we're going to have that. And the fact that horses, and there's a lot of people that talk about colic, and there, there's a lot of people that are, that are talking about, well, my horse, this, you know, he stays fat on air. And I'm like, do you realize that your horse is probably pre-diabetic and the fact that he cannot successfully process sugars is the problem? So as the fermentation process happens in chaffe, what ends up happening is those proteins and those sugars get broken down. The sugars are, are food for the microbes that are inside that bag. Those microbes then produce a yeast colony. And this is a big thing. People will go buy chaffee and they open it up and there's this big white spot that looks like mold. And they're like, holy crap, I got a bad bag. <laughs> and this is, this is the hardest, this yeah. is the hardest thing that we have with marketing is saying, listen, you pick up that, that big old swatch of yeast, which it's a yeast colony. You pick up that big old swatch of yeast and you go grab another handful of just regular hay and put it in front of your horse. What's the first thing he's going to go to? And he's going to go straight to that yeast colony because it's all of the proteins broken down. It's all of the sugars broken down. It's a probiotic. And it's like you being able to put Pepto-Bismol into your system after you ate too much hot curry. Especially with horses, right? Naturally, I mean, horses that are in the performance realm that are boarded, right? Those are horses that are predisposed to have these ulcer conditions, right? Or gastrointestinal problems. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and and the thing is, is so what you've done is you've broken your, your, your proteins and your sugars down to 9%. All of a sudden, you put a horse on chaffee, and the horse starts pooping out these black, shiny nuggets. And you're like, "Wait a minute! We call them the uni- we call it, we call it the unicorn poops." And, <laughs> and and when you start to see those black horse apples, you'll notice that the flies are not hammering it. And yeah. people are like, "What the heck is going on?" It's because the horse was able to utilize all of all of the uh, protein and sugars in that feed, and so therefore he does not have extra protein going out the back end. He feels better. And it's not like, and I, I've done this too. It's, it's, I've got a lot of friends that say, Hey, I need to come buy a bundle of bales from you. I need 21 small bales. And I'm like, all right. And then two weeks later, Hey, I need to come buy another 21 small bales from you. And I'm like, all right, this is a different lot. And they're like, no, 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 it's okay. I just need, I need small bales. You know, two weeks later, I need small bales. What ends up happening is that horse is changing his base nutrition the entire time. Interesting. And, yeah. and so, we don't ever think about that. You think, you know, people are like, well, I don't feed alfalfa. I feed, you know, coastal Bermuda or I feed Timothy or I feed. It doesn't matter. It can vary bale to bale in the same field depending on the growing conditions. The the nutrition in each bale is not going to be the same. Yeah. Whereas we've controlled that climate inside our bag. And that's where our proprietary blends and everything come together. So that's where the consistency comes from, not necessarily the field, but the process in which it takes place in that bag. Absolutely. Interesting. And that's why like that's it. why Dell City, Texas is the place to do it is because we have consistency in our weather patterns. You know, I mean, our growing season is long, but our growing season is not extreme where, you know, if, if you're growing this in, say, Iowa, you've got five months to put up hay or four months to put up hay and it's wet and damp and hot and dry and it's changing all the time. We live in a high desert. So our crop is staying consistent as well as 
once we put it through our process and put it into the bag, you know, we're not adding, I mean, it's not like we're sitting here and blending, you know, 16 different chemicals and all kinds of stuff. It's just understanding, you know, how much probiotic are we trying to pack into a bag and what will this do on the back end of a horse, literally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you see so many people that say this fat tub of horse that I've got now looks like a horse, you know, yeah. or this horse would not keep weight. He now keeps weight. And that's not saying, that's not saying that we don't agree that you should grain if, if they're, if they're a performance horse, if they're needing a little bit of extra protein, if they're burning through it, um, there, there's things to do. And that's kind of where we're at at the development. We just hired a new, uh, a new person to come in as a lot of, I mean, he grew up in the equestrian world and, and he is on fire to make sure that we are going to do blends that are specific to certain clientele. So if it's a hunter jumper, if it's, you know, if it's a barrel racer, if it's whatever it's going to be, and we can tailor these blends to the energy levels that most horses need. And the nice thing about it is, is you're not paying $25 for a bag of it. You know, we can still produce this stuff at, at, at a rate that if you go to your local feed store and buy it, you might be paying a dollar fifty, maybe two dollars more a bag than you would for a fifty pound bale of hay. Mm-hmm. And what kind of One, what kind of life are you getting out of that bag? If you buy a bag, it's got a sixteen month shelf life. Oh no, kidding! Don't tell my dad, but I mean, you know, my dad feeds all of his horses and goats chaff hay, and he he bought like two truckloads from me the first year we did it three Perfect. years ago, and he's still <laughs> feeding it. I'm like, Dad, it's expired. So we go over there, three year old hay cut the bag open it looks exactly the same as that was processed this year and he's like it doesn't change so we still do a 16 month shelf life we 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 think that that 16 months after you've purchased it is is plenty of time for you to have fed it but at the same time uh, a 50 pound bag of chaffee is the equivalent of 90 pounds of dry hay interesting so So what is the feed rate in which you you guys suggest you know, two, two and a half pounds per hundred. Most okay. people are feeding somewhere between 11 and 14 pounds twice a day. Okay. You know, they'll do 11 pounds in the morning, 11 pounds in the evening. If it's, if it's a performance horse, then they're probably putting a little bit of grain and grass in the middle. Yeah. Um, just to get the, the proteins up a little bit more. That's some, some blends that we're looking at doing to, so that they don't have to do that. But the big thing that we're, we're saying is two to two and a half pounds per hundred. Interesting. And what's incredible with all of this, right? And, and I tell people, like, you got to be critical of, of anybody selling a product, right? And, and we all can differentiate between who a salesperson is and who's providing an educational opportunity, right? Um, and that's why when we discussed before the show, like, when I bring on these Western brands, it is not for the purposes of pushing a brand to make money, anything of that sort. I want to provide educational opportunity to listeners, and it's up to them to make the right decision for their horse. Yeah, and and that's I, I I technically I'm not I'm not the main lead sales for for the Chaffee brand yeah. anyway, but at the same time, aligning myself with something that I know changes animals, and knowing that what we're doing is something that people don't understand, and that we have to develop an educational process and understanding the market with people. The fact that when you cut a bag open, it smells amazing, by the way, but yeah. when you cut a bag open and you see that it's not vibrant green, that it's actually better for your horse than buying pea green alfalfa or pea yeah. green Timothy. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's, those are, those are hard learning curves to co- overcome. Um, but at the same time, man, it's really cool to be a part of a company that knows that we're changing, you know, and we're changing the lives of the animals that, that are fed this. It's exciting. And what's driven me in a lot of my pursuit in education, uh, not only with, with equine diet, but tack and things of that sort is that 
historically, right, the Western industry is is uneducated in a sense that you just take word for gospel, right? Where well, I've heard this a million times over, right? Don't feed don't feed horses all alfalfa. You're messing up the kidneys, or this horse can only be on alfalfa, or you got to split it at this rate or that rate, right? Never right. really, never really being critical of what's being said, uh, and just because of my nosy nature, uh, I started to when it comes to diet and when it comes to tack, and it's exciting to really start to break things down and understand the true functions of food, the true functions of tack, why we have things the way we have things, what the horse's needs actually are. And it's incredible how fast an animal will turn when you start to play with their diet a little bit in an educated sense, play with the diet Mm -hmm. a little bit and meet the needs of the horse. Because like you talked about when we're talking about weightlifting in the protein uh, conversation, I had that conversation with my work group just last week, right? That so many people think, well, if I'm going to get in better shape, I need to overload on this supplement or that supplement. And it's like, when it comes down to it, you're just affecting the digestibility of whatever you're pumping into your body. And then you're just going to void the rest. Right. I mean, it, it, and that's the biggest thing that, that we found too, is just understanding. I, I cannot stand. So in, in, in large agriculture, everybody wants to sell you something. Correct. You know, just like, just like your, even your weekend horse enthusiast, you know, your trail rider or whatever, there's always somebody that's going to say, listen, I've got the miracle drug that is <laughs> yeah. going to change your life. Yeah. And and I I, we, I was laughing with one of our farm managers this morning because uh, someone's bringing a piece of equipment out and he goes he goes does it make your water wetter? <laughs> and and because that's what I mean we listen to these self people and they're yeah. like well your water's your water's not as wet as it can be but if you use this then it's going to you know it's going to and I just sit there and roll my yeah. eyes every time. Yeah. And so and so when we started looking at the feed company when we started looking at Chaffee and the way that we were going to make Chaffee, you know, our brand and how we were going to ride this thing, I said, "Listen, I said I do not want to be a part of something that has to be proven. I don't want to sit there and sell this to somebody and then come back and say, "Listen, uh, my horse is not getting better. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I said, I said, so what do we do? And that's what we said. We said, let's look, let's focus on baseline nutrition. Everybody else focuses on supplements and growth for this and growth for that. And those kind of things. I said, let's get something right. Let's get, let's get the base of what, and if they want their horse to be, you know, jumping over rainbows and flying through the clouds, they can go find whatever supplement or whatever whatever else somebody else can sell them but for their horse to be able to maintain uh, a healthy lifestyle regardless if they're you know in the arena every day or in a pen for two weeks that's what i want and that's what we know and that's what we're doing at chaffee it's interesting to i mean a lot of this conversation that we've just had right now over the last you know 40 45 minutes or so is just that uh there's just a lot of misinformation out there and like you talked about, uh, you open up a bag of brown hay, nobody's going to feed that, right? right? Unless that educational opportunity is presented and hopefully yeah, we're able to get some of, of this out, hay, right? Yeah. And there's a big old white spot right on yeah. top of it. Like, You're like, hold uh, on here. I'm pretty yeah. sure that's not right. Um, right. But I think it's interesting when you start to dive into the digestibility of any given food source or any given nutrient, right? And uh, it's incredible to see. I've made some huge changes in my horse's diet in the last oh, three years or so. And uh, it was a result. My horse did colic. It was an impaction colic. We think it was from dehydration uh, because we had a couple weeks span where it was hotter than heck and then raining the next day and then cold and then hot. And, you know, the horse just wasn't able to stay hydrated. Uh, but it made me look into why. Why does the dehydration take place? Why is there the impaction issue? 
Um, and a lot of it had to do with the digestibility of the food. Um, and that led, led, led me down a path of education. I never thought I would go, but I, I find it ever fascinating that there's, there's quite a few ways that we can meet the needs of these horses. Uh, it's just whether or not people are willing to educate themselves and then take those chances on some of these unconventional routes. Like you talk about a bag of wet brown hay with a white spot in it. The biggest, the biggest thing that, that people have to understand too, and this is what I always tell all of my friends. I've got some, some friends that are in the PRCA that, you know, go to Vegas multiple times and they call me to ask me about what they're feeding. And I'm not a nutritionist. Remember, I'm, I'm, I'm just yeah, a guy that's yeah. on the farm, but I understand forage and I understand hay. And they're like, okay, so we've got a horse that's coughing all the time. And I'm like, well, what are you feeding right now? And they're like, we're feeding beardless wheat uh, and we're putting some alfalfa in with it. And I'm like, okay, where did the alfalfa come from? They're like, came out of Tucson. And I'm like, all right, so what time of year did you buy the alfalfa? They're mm-hmm. like, well, we bought it mm-hmm. in May. And I'm like, okay, so the wind's blowing. There's dust storms coming through. Um, you've got a, a certain amount of dust that's already accumulated into the bale of alfalfa because you're raking it, you're baling it, you're stirring up soil. Uh, those things are getting into the bale. And remember, I do, I mean, I, I, bale, I bale roughly 10, 12,000 tons of hay that goes to horse market. So you've done it a uh, couple times. A couple times. <laughs> and and so people will call and they're like, well, my horse, you know, is coughing. And I'm like, yeah. listen, it, it, it could be dust. It could be dust that's in the, you know, and I don't want to tell people that, yeah, I'm bailing dusty hay, but it's outside. It's a reality. And, and the process with chaffe is, listen, we cut it. It's running into the machine and it's in the plant within an hour. That's so, incredible. So we're not sitting out in the field. We're not having, we're not having all these, you know, uh, weather issues affecting it. We're not picking up dirt and rocks and all of these kind of things that are going in. And of course, you're going to have something that's going to get there somewhere. But if you have a horse that has respiratory issues, you don't have to worry about dust. If you've got a horse that's a dipper, you know, is going over, grabbing some hay, yep. dunking Slam it in the it bucket. In the tank. And you look over to the tank and you're like, holy crap, this thing is nasty. I mean, it's full of dirt. Where did the dirt come from? It came from your hay. Yeah. You know, so uh, with, with a hydrated product like, like, like Jaffe, you know, not to say that we cure colic, but we've got a big horse farm in Las Vegas uh, that has fed this product for the last 11 years. He's had three horses colic in 11 years, and he stands 42 head. Well, and, I was going to say, and, the, the numbers are just going to catch up to you at some point, right? It's just statistics. Right. I mean, yeah, it's just a matter of time. Yeah. Something's, something's going to happen, and that's why we're saying we're not colic-proof. But but it's also not definitive enough to yeah. colic that, are, that have already got a good-sized stone in there. It will freak you out when you put a horse on chaffe and you start to see those colic stones come rolling out the back end. Oh, that People would be are, a trip. Oh, and I've got a couple. I'll share a couple pictures with you. But I had, <laughs> I had, a, I had a, a gal in in, uh, in Vegas that actually sent her horse over and was like, hey, I want to try chaffe. He just hasn't been doing well for the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Put him on it. Three days later, you know, the size of a softball comes out. No and way. And she's like, oh my gosh, like I had no idea. And I'm like, that's, it's all just dependent on what you're putting through your animal. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So. Crazy. And that's, and this is no knock to the traditional hay markets, right? In, in talking no, about dirty because, hay, that's just part of the process, right? But it, yeah, it's just. I mean, it, it's not a, it's not that one region is worse than the other. And it's not one region no. is better than the other. It's just natural excuse me natural conditions of of growing alfalfa yeah. timothy bermuda any any kind of forbs that you're going to pick up that's just natural i know we talked a lot about the horses but there's other there's other products there's other animals that are using chaff hay what is what is some of the versatility that you found in the product as far as other species yeah so that's just crazy i mean we got people that are feeding turtles and iguanas uh we, we we've got uh some saudis that are that are feeding it to the race camels 
Uh, the biggest marketplace that we've found is in goats. Really? Um, and what do you think that is? Milk production. Gotcha. The fact that a lot of these backyard people that have goats want to, you know, have two or three kids and, um, and when they have the kids and the nanny's trying to, to make up for milk production and whatever, and they found that it's increased milk supply. It's, uh, there's a lot of problem with goats too, when it comes to parasites, um, the fact that a goat is eating hay out of a trough or out of a, out of a, uh, off the ground or things like that, bring in parasites too. But what happens is if you're feeding baled hay or dry hay, a parasite can actually live inside that dry hay inside a clump of wet dirt or something like that for a long period of time. With us, the fermentation process kills it. I was going to say the fermentation is going to wipe that out. So you don't have weed seed. If there's any kind of a weed in the field, it's kill the the seed is instantly fried in the fermentation process. So if you're packing into a national park or somewhere like that, you don't have to worry about it. Uh, but then two, as far as making sure that we've got we've got a safe product. I hate using the word safe because people instantly think salesman. Yeah. But truly, you know, something that is stable for for all kinds of animals. The reason that we've seen so much success in the goat market too is this. The previous owners loved goats. They loved that, that, that kind of person that had multiple goats and all those kind of things. And, and, and so that's where it was heavily marketed. That's where we understand now at Chaffee, if you pick up a bag and it says it's good for your deer, it's good for your goats, it's good for, you know, whatever. People are like, well, I'm not going to feed something that's good for a goat and feed it to my $30,000 head horse. Yeah. You know, and so that's this year we'll be rolling out brand specific blends so that people can sit there and say, okay, for a horse's dietary needs, it's all on our website anyway. But at the same time, I mean, how often do we actually look at a website? Yeah, that's true. So we're going to put it on a bag and make sure that it is, it is set up, you know, ready to rock and roll for your equine style person. That's incredible. Incredible, man. What an education. That is it's cool. Fun. No, it is. I think it's, it's exciting, right? It's a world that I didn't even know existed. And, uh, I'm pretty critical in the field and to understand that, that it's a, a wet hay product. It's a fermented hay product. Uh, obviously the digestibility of the fermentation process and the consistency makes absolute sense when you think about it on a fundamental level. It's just exciting to see a different direction, uh, that is fulfilling the needs of the horse. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's what we want to do. We want to, you know, I'm not I'm not here to sell you the miracle grow, but what I am trying to say is if you're gonna try to have a horse that's healthy and consistent, then you better find something that's gonna be consistent in his diet and his base nutrition, you know, his forage needs to be consistent. Yeah. And I think that was in my research uh, of uh, diet, that's the biggest issue uh, is is the consistency. Because you can't you can't control how many days of rain that grass gets or how many days of sun that grass gets, you know, between cuts. But it sounds like with this fermentation process, it kind of levels everything off. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as we wrap every show, I like to ask a question, and it's more designed around freedom, right? And in your experience, either personally or professionally, what is some kind of challenge or limiting belief that you have have struggled with? And how did you overcome that belief or that challenge in pursuit of a greater freedom? So mine would be the fact that so many people told me that I can't do what I'm doing today. The fact that I, I remember going to high school and people saying, well, you shouldn't be an FFA because you're really not a farmer. Um, you know, my, my true belief in freedom is this. 
we live in the greatest country in the world. And the reason that we still live in the greatest country is because it gives us the ability to wake up every day, put our pants on each leg, just like everybody else. And we have enough freedom to sit there and say, you know what? I don't like the situation that I'm in. And I am the only person that has the ability to change that. And, and so for me to sit there and say that a, a certain stereotype uh, will dictate the way that I go and the way that I'm successful in my career, the way I'm successful in my family or social life, I will not let that uh, impede on my, my freedom. And, and if it takes me working 24 hours a day to do it, I have the freedom to do it. That's true. That is true. And I, I'm a firm believer of that, right? That circumstances do not define people. Uh, right. You could have a set of circumstances thrown upon you and, and it doesn't mean nothing. If it's in your heart and you have a faith and you have a passion for it, uh, then I just tell people to get out of the way at that point. That's, that's the thing that so many people, you know, I don't know how many kids that are professional, you know, athletes in the equine world that started off, you know, their parents lived in a single wide trailer yeah. uh, in the middle of, of a place that did not have horses, but they knew in their heart that they wanted to be a part of it. It does not matter what your background is, who you are, what you came from. It's up to you and the good Lord's blessing to make sure that you make the most of your life. And if you can dream it, we still live in a country, even though it's going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> We still live in a country that you can do what you no. truly want to do. I agree. I agree a hundred percent, Jay. Well, hey, thank you very much for setting some time aside for us, especially providing us such education on Chaffe and kind of agriculture from a bigger perspective. Uh, we're excited to see the future of Chaffe for you, and if there's anything that we can do to help support you or your cause, you know, do not hesitate to reach out. I. I- can't tell you how much I appreciate the opportunity to be on here. And remember, if anybody ever has questions or concerns, uh, find me on Instagram, hillj45, um, and and we'll do everything that we can to answer questions at the same time. Uh, the door's always open. Get your butt out here. Come see us. All right, brother. I appreciate it. You got it. Have a good one. Hey, thanks for riding along with another episode of Let Freedom Reign podcast and being part of our freedom family. If you want to provide greater support of this show, visit patreon.com forward slash let freedom reign podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash let freedom reign podcast. And reign is spelled R-E-I-N. There you can provide a donation and it costs less than the fancy cup of coffee you're probably holding to help us produce free weekly content. For collaborations, to book us as a guest for your next event or to make guest recommendations, email us at info.lfrpodcast at gmail.com. For the most up-to-date information on Let Freedom Reign, visit our Facebook and Instagram page at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Additionally, you can find us on Twitter at Let Freedom Reign underscore. We cannot thank you enough for being our most loyal listeners, and we'll see you on the next one.